Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Fool. I'm your host, Chris Amador. This podcast is a tribute to the people I've met along my journey and to their stories. I've learned a lot from all of them, and I'm really grateful. This conversation is with my former co-worker, Brandon. We recorded it at the end of the summer. If you listen closely, you can hear crickets. Brandon has an incredibly kind demeanor and an inquisitive mind. I miss seeing him more regularly and having our stoner conversations. Here we discuss the deeper meaning of life, and he speaks deeply about his family and the importance of ahimsa, which is Sanskrit for nonviolence. I hope you enjoy. And so it begins. You know, maybe we'll just probably leave this in here. Who the fuck knows? But anyway. But it, it, yeah, it just like encouraged me through the ayahuasca trip I had my first time, which was going into the unknown. And I, you know, the full tarot card, whenever I looked at it, it was just, you know, what's that idiot, you know, going off a cliff for? You know, what, of course it's a fool. But the more I, I became educated about the tarot and the fool, mm-hmm. it is about going into the unknown. So is, is this part of the ayahuasca trip that it was foretelling me that this is, you know, start the fool? Right. In many cases, I'm, I'm always learning from everybody. I'm always having to learn because life is always changing. That's right. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the concept for this, of, for me to always want to be, like, to be in that walk, you know, to Wear, be like Wearing that. someone else's clothes. Yeah, just like, um, like, I don't know, like when you walk the Appalachian Trail, you mm. know, or if you walk along trails or something, you meet interesting people along the way. So, Was that a yeah. famous one in Spain? I think it is. Oh, to Santiago. Of? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that is my that is a bucket list dream for me to walk. I, I, that thing. It's not surprising at all. Yeah. yeah, that's that's right up your alley, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I I definitely want to do that. Um, but it's it's you know life life it's like a Musashi's a book of five rings, and a part right. of it is that he is he's discussing um, walking alone. And, mm-hmm. and much of life is you're, you're walking alone, even if you're Absolutely. in a relationship. So many cases, it's very lonely. Absolutely. Um, even though you wake up with a person, you go to bed, and it's like it's a very lonely thing because you're, you're getting to know each other. So mm-hmm. I just, along this lonely journey, I happen to meet cool people and I want to talk to them, get to know yeah. them and say, hey, everybody, let's, let's make a time capsule from some cool people I've met. You know, That's so awesome. everybody, We're testifying on our own behalf, you know. More or less, yeah. So. And, and I, I really dig that. I, I've actually had that thought before. I was like, you know, like I've met a lot of cool people along the way too. Like, and I think that some people have stories that could inspire somebody out of uh, uh, an abusive relationship or out of a shitty job situation or, or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and like you said, kind of vicariously be inspired through someone else's follies and, uh, and, and their successes, certainly. Yeah. I think, I think it's our, our focus, you know, how much do we focus on the victories and how much do we focus on the defeats? And um, I think we're, we're cultured uh, and um, probably has a biological, you know, survival element of carried through into an emotional realm. And so that translates into like the need for some uh, version of success. And like the more people that accept it, that version of success, the stronger that, that support is. And so it creates like this momentum to like make things happen and become in its success. It becomes a more excessive version of itself until it's too much and it, and it, and it falls apart, you know? I think the Icarus towards the sun is, 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 is that the reference? Icarus that certainly is a good one. Yeah. 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 yeah it works. But what, uh, 
the danger, I mean, the, the thing about Icarus is you always, you need to always keep pushing to see how far you can push, but where, how far, how far is that before the sun? But then you always, you always realize you invent something more and you get closer to the sun. It's like, you oh, I got a little bit closer. You invent something along the way. Yeah. And, and you know what I mean? A little bit closer to the sun, a little bit closer to the sun, a little bit. So. Yeah. That's um, what it feels like. It feels like we are building the devices, like from the time we're born, we're falling. And mm-hmm. we don't know where the, the, the ground is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and because anytime you could, it could be the ground. And so we hold on tight to things, believing that that's going to, uh, that clinging to it is going to hold on and save us from falling. Right. But it ends up uh, being that the fall, like the, the ground isn't bad. Like, you know, the, um, there's, there's the, that version of success is not, uh, necessarily to be standardized and like among everyone and like it's not, it does have its limits. Mm-hmm. Now, did you learn this through reading or did you learn through example or both? Uh, ex- at both. Yeah. I mean, I, they, they work to inspire each other. Um, growing up in a pretty sheltered environment, I um, read in, in mm-hmm. order to feed that because like I didn't have uh, family to talk to about these things. Um, in fact, I remember being made fun of, for the, for saying things that were like, just, you know, off people, you know, couldn't wrap their head around them. And I, I remember like, it was, it was kind of like a, they turned it into my name and it was like something like, I remember specifically the football coach uh, telling, you know, kind of making fun of me uh, about it. Um, and then I had a few teachers that were like close that would like kind of encourage me, even though I was probably not a good student in their class. Um, I was just too distracted by everything else. But so the pressure to like do the certain things of learn a certain way, play certain sports, it wasn't even like, like an option not to play sports. It was was like, I couldn't even play soccer. Like it was like a football town, you know what I mean? And it was just like so specific that that was how you would validate your self-worth and your social group is, you know, how you were as as a football player, you know? Mm. And so it, um, it had to come crumbling down. You have to break out of that. And that's kind of like you're talking about walking alone. You have to walk your own path um, in order to discover who you are, to have the experience. You can't stand on the sideline of your own party. You know what I mean? Like you're, you have, you're a player, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I like the um, concept of burning chair philosophy. You have to live it. You have to make those choices. Even if you don't believe in free will, it's like you have to, make it happen like somehow right i mean that's mm. um overcoming the elements uh and and the the alchemy that produces the um the gold right but you were saying uh, you were saying um um you you were sheltered but but how were you sheltered but we, did you grow up in a religious environment did you were you isolated farmers or no we were uh it was pretty it was suburban it was white suburbia in the 90s um, 80s and 90s um, and it was just like a very like I was I was saying like a very narrow view of success um, you know this the expectation was you know you, you go to school you go to college you um, get a job have get married two kids you know the whole nine very very keeping up with the Joneses um, uh, and I wasn't given a lot of freedoms at home my parents were really strict they were religious but I'm not sure how much of I think shame drove, drove it more than anything. Shame. Um, yeah. Um, the, I mean, by shame is the, the, 
the fear of failure in the eyes of others and their judgment of that. So, I mean, I guess that's two parts and I think we lump them together and I think it's very important to make that differentiation. And, um, you know, there, it was, there was no trauma wasn't a word in the, in the household. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was very much, remember, um, I, I'd thought about it already, uh, with the general Patton, you remember, you know, the story of him slapping the person with what we oh, would yeah, now yeah. call PTSD with a, yeah. with a glove. And, um, uh, um, I'm sorry, I lost the train of thought. The, I, we just adopted three cats, and <laughs> yeah. three kitties, yeah. and they're just like very active involved. Um, yeah. Um, so what was I saying? Um, uh, you were saying about patent PTSD and right. So it was like, it was very much like that. Like, you know, there was, it was kind of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of, kind of deal. And I, and I, and I do for, for a while there was a rejection, I think of that. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to justify there not being some positive Ella expression of that. And I think that I have discovered that, but um, it's something that's difficult to, try to not just explain it to somebody, but to try to convince somebody of it. It's almost like you have no business of trying to convince somebody of it, but it's like, it's, it's something that's so deep rooted. That is something that I think that by explaining it to somebody isn't going to convey the, the weight of it. It's something like that has to be experienced. Right. Oh, for sure. It's um, like losing a parent. You can't, you know, you can only imagine it, but actually when it happens to you, it's like, Oh Jesus, it's a different right. story. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but do you, do you still, do you stick it along with your, your family you grew up with or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, do they, have any a, influ- do they have any influence over you now currently? No, to, you know, no, okay. no. Um, and that, and that was something that in typical fam fashion, uh, just what kind of went unspoken mm-hmm. and, and I've always been, and, and part of that was my training in my, uh, in my youth by them to just like not talk about your problems. You know, mm-hmm. I think that was like, there was a fear of the stereotype that like somebody had something wrong with them, mm-hmm. you know, I think. And, and that's part of what drove this kind of perfect little cookie cutter cutout of what um, I'm supposed to be. Right. Um, but when I broke completely out of that and just, you know, that was, you know, kind of like we, we, we would call like a deep end. Um going off the deep end, uh, I was partying a lot, um, mm-hmm. traveling from, uh, Boston to Albany, to Hartford, to Montreal, Burlington, you know, everywhere just to, uh, looking for the biggest party. And, uh, and that's how I began to develop a sense of self-worth, like validate my self-worth through college was through the partying because once I realized earlier than I think a lot of the kids that we weren't going to play football forever. You know, mm-hmm. now I feel like it's something that's it's spoken about more where like, I think the counselors and stuff are pe- people are talking to, talking to the kids like, Hey, you know, don't aim solely on football because it's there, there's an end game here. And so now you got to focus on your academics. Right. right. Um, well, so, so I, so I, I saw that like I was going, I don't think it wasn't conscious, but I, what I ended up doing was, uh, carrying over that sense of self-worth that came from sports uh, into partying. And I think that, um, you know, obviously there was um, not a lot of, so within that circle, 
which is a really big circle. I mean, university, it was university was a circle, you know, and, and, the, and then the bar scene uh, was that circle. So it was massive and we just, you know, so as long as we were within those circles, the, um, there was no real uh, confrontation to my sense of self-worth. Like, mm. like there was no, yeah, there was no real assault to my self-worth. Like there was, there was, you know, a lot of risky situations with, uh, with violence and stuff, but um, there was no, that wasn't a, a, a sense of my self-worth. I always had this in my head, like, you're not my dad. You can't take anything from me. Like, why am I going to fight you? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> like there's nothing you can take from me. I'm, there's no reason to, to, to fight. Like, I never understood that. And so, like, I, I was really um, committed to, like, a, a hisma, you know, like, uh, Himsa, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, causing no harm. And, uh, and I didn't really know why, but it's at the same time, I mean, there was definitely times I would get involved, but like get involved to like, you know, separate people, you know, um, when it, when it, when shit went down, but, uh, <laughs> but did you play football? Yeah. Yeah. What was your, what was your position? Uh, I was a D end and a line, like, you know, throughout the years that I got moved around from D end to linebacker to, and then on offense, um, I was a guard. I ended up being a guard and we, we ran a pulling guard, uh, yeah. formation. And then I was wide receiver tight end also. So, um, well, master of, uh, master of uh, a lot of trades there in the football field. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, it's not anything that I feel any pride over anymore. Like, I mean, like being in shape is good, mm-hmm. but like, I, I see it as a pointless gimmick, like a cheap gimmick. In what way? Um, in the way that if these are the best among us, mm-hmm. they should be doing more than just entertaining us. Like that's the end of that's the end. Don't, don't you think that it's just another, another way for people? I mean, without, I mean, every, every, everyone focuses on, on the arts, you know, like mm-hmm. the arts, we should save the arts. We should, we should always save the arts. Mm-hmm. but sports sports is what another. makes a team money i mean yeah i mean that's it's, what it's another art it's a physical art you know nobody <laughs> nobody would just no, no nobody would deny that dance is an art nobody I, would deny I think acting is physical art I, th- I think you're absolutely right i do still like get off watching like a barry sanders montage you know what i mean i'm just mm-hmm. like he was an artist you know um yeah. walter payton was an artist um but I think that the general, so this is, this is, I guess, um, I should make it, the, this is a nuance, right? So mm-hmm. I've, I'm walking into this space from that space of like, okay, because you're right. And, and all, but also I wasn't wrong. And mm-hmm. so it's like, how, what is the domain in which both of those are true? Right. right. Um, and I think that that is, um, uh, I lost it. <laughs> You'll get it back. I promise. <laughs> That's what happens when you get stoned. No, but I mean, so so here's a quote from Clint Eastwood that I I I I read I think today or the other day and it kind of stuck with me and it actually I think it pertains to this conversation and that is respect your efforts, respect yourself. Self-respect leads to self-discipline. When you have both under your belt, that's real power. And so when you said that you don't really respect your efforts and that what you accomplish in the football field, just made me think of that quote. It's like. Well, I mean, if I also don't think I accomplished so much, it didn't lead you to this ahimsa belief that you have. 
did it directly um i don't know because you just contact you know you had some you like when you hit somebody i mean as a linebacker or as wide receiver sometimes you got to hit the person you see them that, that's I, I love that yeah i mean I, they put me on um the we even called it the suicide squad the um the kickoff mm-hmm. and so you basically are sprinting 30 yards down the on the line as fast as you can and throwing your body at someone else's um and and they put me on that and uh when i was a freshman on the varsity team because it was just like i was just that's it was something that was very primal something that i tapped into i felt like you know the coliseum you know what i mean like there was like life on the line and this was like the closest thing like psychically you put yourself that's what you do when you psych yourself up you put yourself Mm -hmm. in a more serious situation than you're in i mean that's the dramatization of it um, but the cheapening of it, oh, I did get it back. It's the cheapening of it, the commodification. So in order to be accessible, in order for, do you remember the, what I was talking about? So it was the, um, so you were brought, you brought up the art of football and I was kind of just like giving it like kind of like a full wash, like, no, like it's, it's kind of cheap and stuff, but there is artistry in it. So you're right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so <laughs> <laughs> I was just thought I was going to lose it again. Um, so the the artistry, it's not all artistry. I think that even at the best, it's antics. Uh, like like at the best, uh, like I mean, in, in the NFL, there's still a lot of antics, right? Which is again that that cheap sort of entertainment. Um, and I think that that works for the masses because the masses is a low common denominator. And so in order for anything to be accessible, public education, public healthcare, uh, whatever, it's going to, to be lower standard than what I would think that a life should be. I think if that should be, if that's your baseline, that's like a, a security net. And so you can, you're, you're, but you're not supposed to stay there. You're not supposed to get like, um, you know, uh, addicted is like an opium den society is like an opium den you know does that make sense like if you buy into the standards of society you'll never let yourself off the hook and so you'll tear yourself apart uh, and allow other people to tear you apart well y- yes and I, I what i'm hearing what i'm hearing from you is that it's if it's if it's if it's about a, okay, so how can i say this so, so some let's say some uh, one of the football players uh, does a dance at the at the end of the the, the you know the, the, the touchdown they do the little, touchdown dance yeah okay yeah you know, touchdown dance and all okay. that stuff um, and this you know it, it just becomes all over the world on fire just like that one guy from the from the Bengals I forgot his name uh, you know he he would do the the shuffle one side shuffle the other side and slam the ball down and that's what everyone started doing at that point. It's antics, but it's also marketing. It also gets people's attention. And, you know, we also have to deal with what is human nature. And the human nature is that, yeah. you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. It's, it's right. like, do what you've got to do to make a living for yourself, to stand ab- above others. You know, a lot of people think that boxing is not, you know, it's not an art. I, it's one of the most beautiful arts I can possibly imagine. You know, mm-hmm. When you study it and look at it and the footwork and the turning and the pivots and you see fighters like Ali and stuff like that, you know, Ali Frazier fight for me was just like the best fight I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, it's hard for me to cheapen that event, but it is, it, I can see your point yeah. of view on where things are cheapened because 
but that's it. There is still like, so I would, I would even make the, another comparison. I'm going to make a jump now to music, right? Mm-hmm. So in the sixties and seventies, in order to be heard around the country, in order to be really popular, you know, internationally, you had to bend over for the record labels. Like, or else they just wouldn't sign you. They wouldn't play you. Mm-hmm. DJs wouldn't play you, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't go anywhere. And so comedy would be another example, right? And so once the internet came um, online, (laughs) I meant that as a double entendre, you know, but Mm -hmm. uh, artists were able to share their music and become popular through a more grassroots um, uh, sharing, you know, of of the music and stuff. And and then, so, so that really changed it. So now what that did to pop music was to really commodify it. It removed the majority of the authentic artists in order to mm-hmm. be an artist. We can talk about the definition of what it means to be an artist. Um, and and I, would, I would reserve that title for somebody who's not just performing an art, but somebody who is um, advancing their art. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Everyone else sure. is just a cop. Not, I'm not, you know, uh, not, not everyone's a copycat. But so I think, but that's what like, so that's why if you look at the um, producers, you know, Kanye West, Pharrell, uh, who else? Um, uh, you know what I mean? Like the, the guys who are producing all the albums, like they, there's, a, there's a monopoly on what is popular music. For sure. And that's, that's also in many other things, what is popular. I mean, there's mm-hmm. like, for example, soccer, it's over and over and over again, it's Messi, Messi, Ronaldo, like who's popular, who's better is Messi, who's mm-hmm. popular is Ronaldo, um, who, uh, then you have artists like, a, I, everyone loves this artist named Cy Twombly. I'm not a fan of Cy Twombly. I've never heard of him. Uh, but I, I just know the art, I know the artwork. I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of the artwork. The person, probably a great person, but I'm just not a fan. Um, and the work goes for a lot of money. I mm-hmm. wouldn't pay for it. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, you, you, you know, you're right, because what is popular and what is actual art is very, very, you know, there's a, there's a... But then there's an art to being popular, and I think that you were touching upon that a little bit too, right? Would you, say, would you agree with that? For sure. And that's, that's, just, that's just getting back to that. It's like the most important thing is, if you read Bill Esper's book on acting... It talks about it, there's one great actor, an Italian actor, who was just fantastic. And nobody ever heard of him. And he was even better, everyone said, than Brando. No one wow. ever heard of him because he just was not a popular guy. Yeah, because you have to commodify yourself in order to play that role. I, I, just, I, I don't, I just don't feel it's... N- it's not authentic, right? Well... The one thing you, the one thing that acting calls for is is to be authentic and right. to survive in that world. You can't be. You've got to put on a persona, mm-hmm. and that's just not me. You know, does someone tell me I can't believe in this or don't believe in that? And you know, I'm I'm a big. Uh, I, I believe that every you know the Constitution sovereignty responsibility. Yeah, I believe the Constitution is the best best exam best paper against tyranny however in responsible hands it should be put you know spot exercise responsibly right like you you know i believe in free speech but you can't yell fire in in a building you can't you know incite harm that's not free speech there's limits there's limits to it right and so Mm -hmm. you work around those limits and stuff but i i don't yeah i just don't i just don't think that 
Yeah, there is that dance. There is a dance that, that must be done, a dance, the balance. And, and the thing is, like, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't dance the dance in that world anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more important for me to, to live a life that I'm not comfortable with, that thank God I don't because I, I love what I do, uh-huh. um, than go into a world where it's just not me. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I think that a lot of, um, we'll say, people who are unwilling to compromise, right? Like that, like there's people who have an even more extreme version of that than us, that we're, like we're talking about. And I think that we, we call that a lot of, we call it mental illness sometimes when people mm-hmm. are not willing to do what they need to do to go to work and just like do that. And they just find out whatever next way to, to live is, you know what I mean? And, and, and avoid doing that throughout their right. life. And, yeah. um, and I think that some people are more or less successful than, you know, there's a spectrum there of people who go that route, just like there's a spectrum of people who are um, successful and not in, um, in, in the more traditional route. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it really is about finding that, that space that, that works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking and, of this, a space, what... What was it about uh, when football was done? Did you say, oh, I can't do this anymore? And how did you feel about that? Um, I was really scared. Um, I didn't know what was going to replace it in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that it was a, a big hole. And um, so when I – so there was a game, and I remember, like, the, I remember exactly what happened on the play and everything. Um, mm-hmm. But um, – I ended up, uh, so I was holding, I broke through the line and I grabbed the jersey of the, the tailback who got the ball. Mm-hmm. And he ran this way as I got blocked in the back. Or no, no, somebody, uh, a lineman got plowed over, got pushed on my back. And so I went down. And as the, line, uh, as the tailback was running this way, you know, with my arm at full extension, and the whole left side of my body went numb. And um, I couldn't, I, I just kind of like hobbled off the field and, um, and I said, I, I'm, you know, I'm done. And so I went to the hospital and like, you know, I still have never gotten it really diagnosed, but went to the hospital a few times and they said it was like a rotator cuff. They said, you know, it was something, I don't remember at this point, this, this is not really a whole lot I retain about this memory because it kind of feels like another life. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I mean, my shoulder is still, you know, can just this easely come out of socket. Mm. Um, oh, so, so as much as I, I love, um, I love re- like, like wrestling on the ground too. So it's mm-hmm. like, like, you know, like that, like the grappling and, um, and, and uh, um, like arm bars and stuff. So like, it's something that it's just like, there's not even a possibility for that. If, if, if I was to like be com- competitive with, with a uh, MMA or something. Right. Um, yeah, because you told to go right out. Yeah, and as soon as the first person found out, it would just be game over. Game over. <laughs> yeah. But so is, yeah, it, is it is it really painful for you as it as it was for me when shoulders go out? Yeah, like I said, the whole left side of my body was numb, like just yeah. limp, limp. Um, I'm sorry, hold so, on, really quick. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I had to get that out. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard for Sal and me to edit this stuff when I'm doing it while I'm talking to you. So that's yeah. why I'm stopping. Taking you. pausing, yeah. No, it's a it's a oh. it's it's a skill, and it's yeah. a, and there's an art to it, you know. Um, you you think yeah. of um, Joe Rogan mm-hmm. and how like I think he does a really good job of interviewing people and getting mm-hmm. really awesome guests on his show, you know. Yeah. Um, and other than that, like he's kind of kind of still a meathead, you know. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, 
but that's a bit, it's amazing. So like he has like probably the largest following of any independent, you know, entertainer. Right. Yeah. yeah. When you think about it, I mean, he granted that he wasn't always independent. He had to work, play the game to get out of the game. And that's always mm-hmm. kind of been my, um, my MO. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta play the game to know the rules, but you have to beat the rules. You have to break the rules to beat the game. What game do you want to play and in what environment? Uh, it's the, the game is life. Um, and that's what we're doing is, is creating the environment or we're not. But if there's any possibility of creating the environment, I'm going to try my ass to make it happen. You know what I mean? I'm going to find like that. And that's why I spend all my time focusing on what is the goal that's worth pursuing and right. not enough time to actually doing it. <laughs> well, that's, that's where you find out. That's the whole thing mm-hmm. is like you, like I, it took me, unfortunately it took me hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars. And I mean, thousands of dollars to find out acting was not for me mm-hmm. um, to be in that world was not for me, but it took, and it took time. The most, the worst part was it took time. But I, you know, I, I had to find out that's something I wanted to do since I was a kid, and I found out it wasn't the case. And you know, I have, I have friends that make movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're. Uh, are you are you interested in doing it like uh, for fun? Like. Uh, no, nah, it, it used to be fun at one point when I was younger, and 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 I had the attitude of like, oh, I wanted like, for me, the fun is writing about it. I wanna I wanna mm-hmm. write about I wanna write the screenplays, write the books. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I. I don't want to act anymore because I, I just feel like it's a, you know, I, I, well, A, I have a really hard time memorizing with my dyslexia. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of time that you can give me something to look at, a sheet to look at, and I, I can't memorize it. Um, I have a hard time with that too, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't like to be under that much pressure. Like I can, I can pretty much remember almost all of our conversation, but I can't, I can't memorize a single paragraph. Which is really word for word, right? Word for word, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah, to be able to summarize, and that's why I think that memory is very much tied to like our emotional reaction, mm-hmm. how it made us feel. Oh yeah, yeah, um, for sure. That's exactly how you remember things vividly. Emotional mm-hmm. reaction, was for sure. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, we you know we remember, you know. The first time we kissed our our partners, we first time we you know smoked weed. And speaking of which, when was your first time you smoked weed? Um, it was with my my parents were away. I don't know. It was probably maybe just for the night, but um, the, uh, I was seventeen, and mm-hmm. so it wasn't. I wasn't early to the party. I wasn't really late to the party, but um, and it was with my sister's boyfriend. And I think that we did rising shotguns on the hill to try to like, you know, like try to like not quite hyperventilate ourselves, but we thought mm-hmm. that if you like crouched up in a ball and stood up really quickly and like took a hit and then like linked fingers and blew your hit into someone else's mouth <laughs> so that they could take a hit too, <laughs> you know, oh, see how many God. times you could do that around. Holy moly. The shit stoners um, come up with, man. My God, I know. Jesus Christ. And you know what it was? Yeah. It was probably some like 30 or 40 year old maybe even older, but telling some young kid, this is what you do to get really stoned. You know what I mean? And just yeah. Say, and, and we believe it. It's like, well, okay, sure. Why not? You know? Right. Right. Everyone That's had a cousin that, that told them that girls like to get kissed on their necks and stuff like that. <laughs> now was it consistent use after the first time or did you just kind of sporadically yeah. choose? I, f- I fell in love. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was great. And I never, 
I refused to buy weed for a while, but I had a car. And I had a friend that loved to buy weed and didn't have a car. And so we hung out a lot. And we both had construction jobs at the time. Um, and so uh, we'd get paid on Fridays in cash. And we would immediately make a trip to our friend, you know, and, um, and purchase a large quantity of, of weed. And uh, we'd go and we'd smoke and we'd listen to music. I had a, a light blue 1990 Buick Century. It was my grandfather's car. Wow. Okay. And um, it had the bucket seats in the front. And I put a Pioneer uh, CD, you know, deck in there. And um, it had a purple light that came out, like a bluish purple light, really nice hue. And yeah. we would listen to Pink Floyd and Santana and Led Zeppelin. Um, and then uh, uh, Fish and Radiohead and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I did that for a long time. Uh, then I started selling weed. I think, trying to think of like what else was happening environmentally for me. Now, uh, this is all taking place in Massachusetts or? Yeah, in Pittsfield. This yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, and this is where uh, you grew up, where you, mm -hmm. you know, born and raised. Okay. Yeah. And so I went away to college in New Hampshire and got kicked out uh, for partying. And so I. What college was that? Southern New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah. And that's where you played football? Uh, no, I didn't play in college. I didn't oh, even play just in college. high school. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, um, so, uh, yeah, so I got kicked out of there and went back. And so most of all my friends were, you know, I'd say most of them were away at school. And so I started hanging out with some other friends and, um, just kind of became a middleman and then was like, well, I should do my own thing. And, and so I had a shitty manufacturing job and was um, selling weed on the side and living pretty, pretty good, you know, for not having a lot of responsibilities at the time. Um, but yeah, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. How long were you selling? Um, at first I was buying just an ounce. Like I never became like a kingpin, but I would buy two peas and, um, get like I had one person that would take an ounce and mm. like at least one ounce a week. And so, um, it was a weekly thing and I probably had another friend that would periodically too. So, um, it made it pretty easy. Um, what, um, would you, would you sell for like a large profit or did you get a decent profit out of it? It was, yeah, it was like break, like not break even, but it was like half of what, um, I forget what the, what the actual like metric was, but it was like, yeah, it wasn't, it was modest. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing work here. I'm taking risk here, but like, you know, um, and I know the guy, so it's like, but, um, but so, yeah, I mean, the, I didn't deal with strangers at all, you know, so it was only my friends that I was hanging out with. So it wasn't like, you know, I was going to take advantage of them. No. Okay. Um, and that's what like, I was really like a deliberate space that I entered, you know, like I, I wouldn't have done it if I had to wait on the corner and try to, you know, I mean, or, or deal with people I didn't want to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was hanging out with my friends because they all smoked and they hung out with other people. And so it was just kind of, you know, a little thing. Right. Um, and how long were you doing that for? A few years. Um, say I was, I was doing it when I, when I knew Callie. Callie's so, your wife? Yeah. Callie's my wife. Okay. How long have um, you guys been married? since 2012 so that's eight years yeah 
um, in September. Um, well, congratulations on the upcoming uh, eight years. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, what was that? Uh, thought about. Um, you said you met Callie. It was right about the time you met. Yeah. Callie. Oh, so I was still selling when I met Callie, right? Okay. So how many how many years did you know were you selling when you like how many years have you known Callie? Like you've been since, married for eight, but how long? Have yeah, you been since two thousand and seven. So what's okay. that? Um, was she the inspiration for you to not sell anymore? That's a gentle way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder. I wonder. Uh, um, how can I say this? Um, there's always uh, the the persuasive uh, persuasive ways that that uh, are. You know, part partners have a way of you know getting molding you know, us. Do, yeah, yeah. And and I think that um, it, there's a purpose in, for that in our lives to like keep us structured in a way that is conducive to a, a home life. And at, at least that sometimes that structure is coming is coming from is it structure or fear? Because at times that when it gets you know, when things get overly structured, it's because like when you, when you, you have uh, Move control uh, issues, control issues, abandonment right? issues, right. And so it's like, this thing's going to fall apart. And sometimes these things have to fall apart yeah. in order to, to really find out the truth about things. It's like, yeah, I think Carl Jung said, um, uh, he said that if people want to find God, they don't look low enough. And, Absolutely. and so, yeah, so you got to look, you got to look at the, the, the guts of things in order to find out, okay, this is where the peace is. Mm-hmm. So when you when you find things, so you, you you must look inside. Usually, that's where the you know from that experience, you then use and you're able to pass it on to somebody. Hey, this is what I learned from my past. So, mm-hmm. um, and all I can do is provide some sort of context for an experience because, as we were saying before, like it can't be a substitute for that primary experience. You know, um, I think as I said, uh, you can't be a cheerleader. You're on the sideline of your own game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's why, um, you know, the action, the actual, uh, the, you know, I, I grew up a Baptist. So I, there, there was a time when um, we went from, you know, this very rigid setting up and down type thing, almost Catholic without the priests and the nuns and all that other shit. And so, you know, stand up and down and yet, and sometimes the, the pastor would be really into it by waving his right fist around with every, Every time someone says God or something, it's like, oh, he's really on fire for God. And, um, and then we went to a, a Baptist where it was just the opposite, um, where it was all about speaking in tongues and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. the, one, the one thing that stuck with me throughout my, my entire life about the Bible was faith without works is dead. Faith without work is dead, yeah. You know, and that, that's, per, that's been a personal model for me. It's like it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do. That's right. It matter how you show up for yourself. You know, it's right. how, how you show for others. And that's what Benicio was talking about in that quote of his. Mm-hmm. It's like he's showing up. You know, you show up yeah. for yourself, you get more respect for yourself. Right. You get more respect it, from others. Yeah, it's interesting because when you read that quote, I was like, oh, look at that daddy. You know what I mean? Like, that's what, that's what, that's what your daddy should tell you, right? That's how you should right. be raised, right? right. And, um, and I was thinking about how uh, today's daddy is Jordy, Jordan Peterson. Do you, do you listen to him? Do you know him? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Much, huh? Yeah. yeah. And I think that um, as much as it's, it's kind of funny to make fun of, but um, it, it, it does provide a little bit of that structure for boys that they might not have gotten at home, you know, so it, there is an effect, a positive effect, you know, from it. 
Very true. There, there is. There's definitely that. However, from what I've read, now this may be BS from, you know, this is a couple of years ago when I first read this, but maybe BS, but um, some of the Nordic um, schools do not start their kids, the, the boys, they don't start the schooling until they're seven. Mm-hmm. And then the girls, they start at five because the young girls are more mature to sit down, you know, talk and, and stuff. And the boys are only mature to do that at seven. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, we are different, you know, despite mm-hmm. what some people say and some people think and everything, we are different. Right. And, and it's not always men, you know, there's different, there's different circumstances usually, but like we're, we're different. Yeah. Um, um, I, and I think that there's, it's, and there's not only a, a difference, I think that it's not even explicitly or um, necessarily tied to the gender. So I think that it's like there's masculine and feminine. And so you see a feminine male and, and a masculine female. It's like, it's about like the gender expression. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that that is, um, you know, important when we, cause we think of like all the other ways that it takes form and um, in a progressive or mm-hmm. protective you know, or, or uh, responsive or more um, aggressive, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So those uh, receptive, right, is another uh, feminine quality. Um, so th- it's, it's the principle of, of uh, correspondence, you know, going back to the Kabbalion, um, the, and, uh, the alchemical book. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, to, to quote the guy that you were, to, you were talking about, Jordan Peterson, um, he was saying that you know, if you were to take 100 people and put them in a room and you were to measure who is the most aggressive, you know, usually 99.9% of the time it's the male. Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually the most aggressive. Um, you know, I, I can name many, many people who are more aggressive, many women who are more aggressive than me. <laughs> many, many. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I'm not the most aggressive, but in, in, in other situations I am, um, I, 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 it has to do with experience and testosterone, but again, it's not, you're right. It's like, it's not always the case, but in the majority of the cases that is, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, I, no, I think that's what, that's what, that's what, that's why they are, it is masculine and male and feminine and female. You know what I mean? That's why mm-hmm. they do correspond to each other because it is um, Im, Im, uh, important to look at um, the differences as well, as well as the similarities. Yeah, for sure. And the thing is, I would love to have a discussion about that sometimes because I'm, I, I must admit, I'm completely friggin' ignorant when it comes to the whole gender non-binary you know, thing. Oh, and I, and know, I didn't, yeah. And know. I wasn't even thinking, I'm, I'm kind of ignorant in terms of like, like what the, the community is like, mm-hmm. like this was like, that's uh, that right there was, um, was, was more of like thinking about it on a like level of like substance and like express the way that it expresses itself. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like the soul expresses itself and, and, and manifests in, into a, a, it becomes embodied, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I don't know, um, um, how the, the, the community, uh, would feel about that. Yeah. I'm sure there'd be varying, uh, I'm sure there'd be varying responses to it, you know, reactions to it. Uh, I think some people would like it and some people wouldn't because that's my, that's my experience with people with, with uh, protected classes Uh is that some of them don't care and some of them do care, you know? I, yeah. 
but the class the class is a is a structure that was built by people whereas there's things that are just human nature to us you know like i i would you know at one point i used to believe that hey it would be it would be advantageous to have been a woman young in my 20s and then a guy in my 50s and mm-hmm. I never, and I just thought, you know, women have it really easy in their twenties. And it's like, oh, actually, no, they don't. They, you know, there's a, there's the old beliefs that when you grow up in, in a certain environment, you're like, oh yeah, women are this, women are that. And then you educate yourself more, think about more. It's like, and you, you actually know, put yourself not, in their shoes. In their shoes, and you say, oh, okay, I'm, I can never be in their shoes. I can understand it. And so by yeah. hearing their stories, hearing their journeys, and everything, you realize, like, I really don't know shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and. Mm-hmm. I'm, and that's why this, the, the pool podcast is the way it is, because it's like, I'm, this is my belief. This is my journey so far. Here are my beliefs unto my understanding of this age and my experiences. That's right. Date that it. Me. You know what I mean? Date it. Because this yeah. is what I know today, you know? Yeah, this is what I know today, which is very little. Right. You know, this is why I'm, I'm doing this so I can understand the broader spectrum a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there's a couple of things I want to get back to. You had mentioned that... Um, you were you were sheltered, and, yes. and and like what what did your family what did your parents do to shelter you? Um, well, it's more of what they wouldn't allow me to do that is what sheltered me. You and know, how, like how 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 strict were they? Would they restrict music? Would they restrict yeah music? Like what yeah. kind? What would you listen? Were you not allowed to listen to rap? I mean, anything with swears in it. Anything with swears. Yeah, like like Marilyn Manson. Like, forget it. Yeah, never. And I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't allowed to listen to Marilyn Manson in Why? school either. Like mm-hmm. the 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 social groups were so um, bifurcated that I couldn't listen to punk music. I couldn't, and that's why I never really liked the popular kids mm-hmm. because it was so rigid. Like I wanted to hang out with other groups of kids, and like it just wasn't cool to do that. Yeah. No. No. I I, I get it. And. Um... Because it, the way I grew, I, I wasn't even allowed to listen to classical music. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I remember you telling me that. Yeah, that's... yeah. So, no, forget rap. You know, right. rap was not in the picture. There was no Pink Floyd. So, there was nothing. So, I this was is not allowed to listen to anything. Yeah, so I'm sounding pretty pitiful at this moment, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was, you know, the funny, I, I, as a result, I've grown to ridiculously appreciate music. If, I, if my income matched, my eyes as far as like what I wanted from music, there wouldn't be an inch of this entire apartment. It wouldn't be covered in like CD or album or something like that of all the music I want to listen to and own. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've just become somebody who's just, you know, that's, that's my real addiction is music. Hmm. Um, I, I have not been able to listen to it lately because my head's been hurting quite a bit. So um, I've been having to like only listen to like classical music so it, it can stop hurting. Um, unlike you, who doesn't seem to be uh, affected by uh, traumatic brain injury, it, it, you know, me getting hit in the head a lot affected me quite a bit. So um, I'm surprised I'm not drooling on myself right now. But um, no, so I was not Power allowed to, to listen. What's that? Power to you. Yeah, I don't know what's keeping me together. I have no fucking idea. Some gum I ate since I was a kid or something. You know, just, it's you know, just kind of, yeah, just kind of, there it is, just patching it all together. Yeah. Um, no, but it's, it's, and that's, so in that, in that respect, were your parents afraid that if you swore around somebody that they would look, be looked at as a bad parent and that's why that's, the swearing was out of it? That's the connection to the shame, yeah. 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 That was and their motivation in every single 
action. And so then the you, felt, you felt shame about yourself and therefore you wanted to validate you weren't and therefore went out and partied and mm-hmm. did the things you could do to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and in a rebellious way, you know? Yeah. Because like you knew better and you knew, like, when did you know that this way of living was just not for you, that this is fucked up? Yeah. Never, never really fit right. You know what I mean? It's like when you try on clothes, you, you know, it doesn't fit right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is going to be uncomfortable for as long as you have to wear it. Yeah. And um, so when you said earlier, uh, made fun of, like what, mm-hmm. what made fun of by people that was it just the coach? Was it made, you know, the teachers, was it other students? Like, no, what, it wasn't, it wasn't other teachers. It was, it was, it was like kids. Um, I'm trying to think of like, what exactly, like, I'm trying to think of a like specific example. Like I said, I don't really, I'm not, I'm not really attached to it. So it's mm-hmm. something that I recognize was there. And, but I think like around that time, I had already, you know, like I can't, I had found the similarity between that and like getting your heart broken by a girl mm. and the common denominator there would be, um, <laughs> so it was, I feel like the same arc as like riding the wave and it just crashes. Mm. Just wipe out. That's all right. Um, what was I talking about? So it was the women. What did I say? So I was referring to, I uh, was talking about music. And yeah. so we were uh, from music. We were asking about you're made fun of and then how you're made fun of. You were, I said, was it just the students and the teachers? And you said, no, it was other students. So, and, and, the, and the coach. Like I said, I, remember, I have that specific memory of the coach. Yeah. But there probably wasn't many adults that did it. You know what I mean? It was like a very gossipy town. And, and uh, mm. I think so that it wasn't just my parents. I think it was like the whole like small town vibe thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah, I think that makes more sense. So it wasn't like, I'm, you know, it's not like my parents were, were that bad. But like, I think in, 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 it's hard. To, how do you even say that? Because it's like, when you think about th- how whatever they were, would still depend on who I was mm-hmm. because if it was somebody else, it could affect them differently. So it's like, you can't make really make a relative claim, like how good they are. They were, you yeah. know, but like, um, yeah, they sheltered me. And like my, my curfew was always earlier than my friend's curfews. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, my mom was very Catholic. She was Irish Catholic. My dad was, like a Roman Catholic, Italian and Irish families. Um, But like, they never really, there was never really a whole lot of depth to what they were. So I found it. So I had to find, so when I first discovered that, I first discovered like the depth, like I'm, you know, the the psychology, philosophy, stuff like that, that that I'm into. Um, Listening to, uh, music and listening to uh jim croce and aerosmith and uh and it was like my parents music but it was like it was like rare for them to have actually uh like my mom like michael bolton and stuff like that you know mm, uh okay james taylor uh so even listening to like led zeppelin or, or aerosmith would have been pretty wild for her but so, 
Yeah, I found, and so so empathizing through their songs and learning about heartbreak before, like that's what matured me along into like how am I supposed to feel during this part of my life? Mm-hmm. And there was songs there, and it was like you know, so in real life, it, it was probably really ridiculous to watch. You know, if I could have been a fly on the wall, and it was mm-hmm. like I probably just never called the girl, and was like really sad about how she didn't like you know, like me or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like weird stuff like that. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know how I started talking on that tangent. <laughs> we were talking about how you made, uh, you made fun of. What was it that you were made fun of? I mean, just unique thoughts, unique ideas, unique. Yeah, so it was, I remember, like, it just being like, like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's, like, there's nothing really specific that, comes to mind because it wasn't like I mean I think that I wasn't it, it wasn't that big of a deal like I think that um and more broadly there was mm-hmm. um hazing or um initiation was what they called it for like mm-hmm. entering high school which um you know I almost got thrown in a porta potty they were going to tip it over and push it down a hill when somebody recognized me and from the football team and, um, and saved my ass. Um, Jesus, you guys are brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then that, yeah, and that, and we that, were hardcore. And that was like generally allowed until somebody shaved somebody else's eyebrows and their parents like sued them or something like that. But, um, but yeah, so I got initiated and wasn't able to initiate. And that sounds like the shitty end of the stick, but I am mm-hmm. actually feeling fortunate that I don't have to wear that on my soul of what I would have done to other people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that, like, I remember a kid named David Hill that, that uh, in, in, uh, geez, I think the fourth, the third and fourth grade, I think he was gone by the fifth grade, but mm-hmm. I remember him because one time I called him fat and, mm-hmm. and to this day, it's like, I, I wish I could meet him and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, because I, I, he obviously was probably called that quite a bit. You know, I was called fat as a kid, too, because I was fat. So, but yeah, those things do stick with you for a little bit. They do, they do stick with you for, you know, for a while. But then I, I have to just say at the time, you know, it was just part of the youth. It's part of my ignorance. It's part right. of my ignorant human self. Right. You know, it's part of the, and, and I, I think there's, it's, um, I think what, because for you, it's like if you were to, you follow Himza, follow the Himza of, of no violence. Are you afraid that if you were to follow with violence on something or, you know, do something different, do something different, do something aggressive, that it would put shame upon you? And that's why you choose that? Because I know for me, if I were to have a child, the most important thing I teach my child is to hunt. Right. And to understand to survive and teach them how to fish, teach them how to, you know, like make a, a lean to teach them mm-hmm. like all the, all the survival skills I've had to learn throughout the years. Mm-hmm. I would teach them everything. I would teach them martial arts because it's, you know, yes, life can be very, very beautiful. It can be wonderful. It can be amazing, but life can be fucking brutal as well. And you got to be prepared for it. Yeah. Are these the, what is it that you're, you're going to be, the two questions of this, like the first thing is, are you going to be teaching your kids a Himza? And, and the other question is, how are you raising your kids in a post-legal marijuana environment? What are you telling your kids about it? Mm. As opposed to your parents telling you what, what marijuana was. Um, okay. So what was the question? 
What was the question there? The first, the first part of it? Uh, the, well, we'll go, with the, we'll go with your kid's question, which is like, what, how are you going to raise your kids in a post, oh. uh, you know, post-legal marijuana world? Because you, you know, you, I'm sure you have dealer stories and we all have dealer stories. Yeah. Well, um, it, it's going to be pretty easy actually, because um, my wife's an herbalist. And so we have just plants everywhere. And um, these are just another one of plants that ha- happen to have a really strong relationship with humans and in particular, we humans. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it, it's something that's commodified on the market and it, uh, it works, you know. <laughs> but there's, I mean, you want to teach them how to use it responsibly, right? I mean, is there really an irresponsible way to use it? Oh, for sure. I mean, Dropping having too many edibles. Yeah, and, I know. Yeah. You know, yeah, for yeah, sure. But yeah, I think that it'll be something that will be happen earlier for them than it did for me and probably right. under my guidance. But like, right. I'm not, I mean, they're five and three right now. So it's yeah. just like, and the few. Or do you, do you smoke around them or do you do have a go? Not really. I mean, it's like very rare that I do. Um, I took a hit off of vape in the car. Um, one time when they were in the backseat and um, I think Veda said, smells like a skunk. And Kai goes, it smells like gasoline. <laughs> and it's just like, you kids are pretty good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was like, I was like pretty good. Like, I didn't know if it wasn't like proud. It was still kind of like, it wasn't shame, but it was mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, they're probably not supposed to know this at this age. Um, simultaneously, like really proud that they knew that, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like jumble. Um, yeah, the, the reason why I ask is uh, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate for, in that situation because you, one customer that came in, he was telling us about how the ballot, it was on the ballot for Connecticut, the weed legalization or the state legalizing it, it was on the ballot. And he was saying there's a lot of arguments against it and uh, against weed legalization. And a lot of parents were concerned and stuff. And I just thought, you know, I don't think, I don't think so. I think that's just BS. I think, I think a lot of parents know see how how cannabis is a benefit to them mm-hmm. and now they're saying to the kids it's a benefit to you and you know it's, but not to be used as a crutch Absolutely. You know, but and that's the thing that I, I would want to teach my kids it's like anything at all anything can be used as a crutch yeah particularly yeah. during early use i feel like it it can if it is being used as a crutch then it has the potential to be a gateway drug you know what i mean mm-hmm. because you'll grow a tolerance to it and you'll be searching for, you know, if, if you're feeling that void, then you're going to try to fill it with something that was a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it doesn't, it's not saying this happens, so this happens. It just, like, kind of opens the door in that direction. Does that make sense? I, th- I think that people want to try any, anything. They're going to try it. They're going to use any example. You know, I think there's a different about, population, right? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. definitely. And there's, some people, there's some people who believe that, believe it's a gateway drug, and I think that's absolutely ludicrous because I have, I have no desire to try cocaine, heroin, or anything right. like that. None right. whatsoever. You know, I have right. no, my, my, my drugs are always going to be marijuana and then occasionally drinking and then you know, some shrooms or something like that, and, and, yeah. and that's it. That, that's all I want. Like, I, mm-hmm. I got to deal with reality. You know, mm-hmm. reality is hard enough to deal with that. Not, I don't want to compound it and make it worse by having other addictions. Can you imagine that? Yeah. yeah. I, I never um, had any desire to do pills or Coke. You know, I did Coke once years after I should have tried it. Like, you know, 
my friends were doing it when we were younger. Never. I was the only one not to do it. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. That was like that, like adamant about it. And then I was flying from Boston to Seattle and I was staying with a friend in Boston and I was just like, I was like, fuck it, you know? And it was, it was like already like, I was already, it was like, I think 2015, like right before Kai was born or something like that. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't know if he was born or she was pregnant, but anyways, um, so the, so yeah, so it was like, and I was just like, yep, no, I was like, cause I was like, maybe, maybe there is something I'm, I'm missing. Maybe there is something that this could offer me. And I did it. I was like, nope, there's nothing, nothing there. And so yeah. it was like, like, I, I almost like have more pride in it now because I know for a fact, you know what I mean? It, there's no, maybe it has something to offer and I'm not, and I'm reserving my, or I'm not participating in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, I'm not seeing the benefit of it. Like, if something benefits, it benefits for as long as it benefits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the problem is that the, the, the pleasures of the material world only benefit so much. They only give us so much pleasure before it, you start to suffer. And, and it's the seven deadly sins are a perfect example of, like, what happens in extreme. Because in moderation, each of those is, is actually has a positive expression. They also have a completely opposite, um, because it's a physical thing, there is a polarity there. So it's, um, uh, uh, let's say, lust. And the opposite of that would be like, um, what would you call somebody who's um, crude, right? Like, like, some, like, like really extremely crude? Uh, um, uh, Puritan. A Puritan, something like that. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. That's another yeah, good word for it. Um, and so, like, that's not healthy either because there's still a perversion there. There's a fear around it, right? There's a reaction. Um, and so for uh, gluttony, you could say, uh, like, an anorexic, like somebody who has, like, you know, um, a, a disorder of, like, body dysmorphia or, you know, whatever that would be the opposite of gluttony. Mm-hmm. Because and, and the answer is because they exist on um, a spectrum uh, where the means between the extremes produces the most progress. Um, And so the positive expression and the negative expression are, well, the the positive expression is in the middle. The negative expression and negative expression are on the extremes. So, yeah, so so in the means between the extremes produces the most progress um, in the material world. And so it takes a relinquishing of the pursuit of pleasure, the desire, the passion, the, um, uh, and I don't know, we'll, we'll stick with that for now, but um, uh, if you turn around and instead of pursuing pleasure, you're facing pain, but it's not pain, you're still in the pleasure center. So it creates that combination of pain and pleasure pain in a pleasurable place. Anyways, that's what work is, right? That's the um, being condemned to work by the sweat of a brow. And the, and, you know, you know, like the physical body, you know, it 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 has its limitations and it's working against its environment for survival Mm. um, or success, you know, to whatever that is defined as. No, you're right. I mean, the the thing with Buddha, when he was a, he was a staunch, um, Jain. Uh, Jain religion has been around for thousands and thousands yes. of years. Yep. 
And uh, so he was a staunch Jane follower. And so their, their whole idea is um, no eating of any meat or anything whatsoever. In the fact that they sleep up against a wall. So by so prevent any crushing of any insects on the ground or having they to carry move. brooms with them. Carry, they yeah, were, they, they were the original mask wearers. They're wearing masks so that they, it flies in fly into their mouth. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's very, that's extreme. That's extreme. Exactly. Yeah. And so Buddha followed that. And mm-hmm. so how he got out of that was he heard a fisherman tell, tell his son um, about, uh, now this is a story I heard, read, you know, whatever. Um, I only care if it's a good story or not, you know? Yeah, and so the, he, he said, okay, you can't have a string too tight, otherwise it breaks. You can't have it too loose, otherwise it, you know, there's, there's nothing there. You can't, right. or it was a guitarist or somebody was saying about string theory, you know, but the string yeah. too loose and too tight, so it's got to be just in the middle. And from that point on, Buddha gave up the way of following the Jane. It's like, this is too extreme. Yeah. You know, this is way, way too extreme. And in fact, when I was... Uh, um, Health, health, health class when I was in seventh grade, and I'll never forget this. And years later, I ran into my health teacher who was at a wedding, and I was doing some a cater, and, and I was part of the catering crew on that event. And I asked, I said, "Did you tell this story because you wanted to scare us about beets?" He said, "What do you mean?" He said, "That the story about your friend about how he became addicted to beet, to beets." He said, "Oh no, it's not my friend, but the story is true. And the story is that he." He just got obsessed with beets. He became obsessed in eating beets over and over and over. And it got mm. to the point where at, at his factory job, that when he was done eating the beets, he went into the, into the bathroom, threw them all up so he can eat, eat them again. You know, so the mind can create addiction for yes. anything it wants. You know, and then there's things beets. that are addictive in their self, right? Exactly. That's, so, that's yeah, interesting. Eating beets. So yeah. if, you, if you really want to make something, you're, you're you know, make a master somebody you know you're basically creating a, a slave driver is what right. you're doing you know when yeah. you become addicted to something you you're, you're serving that, that that master right so um you know i i don't know about you but i hate serving masters except for the people that i want to serve you know mm-hmm. um so, want to be on, on my terms yeah my terms um so you were saying that like what were the best parties that you've ever been to like what were your <laughs> best like what were your, your top two, we'll say, the top two best party stories? Um, parties or party stories? Uh, meld them together. Oh, man. Um, so I would have to include Bonnaroo in there. Uh, I went to Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo, and, nice. I've, I've always uh, heard great things about it. Yeah, this was uh, 2004, 2005, and 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and... It was the first experience that I had. So college was outside of the domain of my parents. And it was a group of other kids that were outside of the domain of their parents. And so it created this layer of freedom, which really allowed me to express myself, right? Mm -hmm. And at Bonnaroo was the first time I saw outside of the culture. And so there was, so that was another deviation, another layer that was peeled away when, when I went to Bonnaroo. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to, to just see the beauty and the freedom um, of just the way that people dressed and the music that they played and the drugs and just, it was outside the law. Um, And there was a freedom to that, that was 
I, it wasn't addicting. I mean, people gave up their lives to, you know, follow festivals. I never did that. I always had maintained like a, a somewhat regular job. And um, as much as cannabis can be considered a regular job in these days, you know, mm -hmm. um, but uh, before this, it was manufacturing. So uh, yeah. So, but, but, the, but just the way that it made me feel, it became a sort of, it was something worth obsessing over in my mind. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. in some part of me, it was like, yeah, why don't I just like, you know, do this all the time. And that, but there was not like, there was never really any serious pull to actually do that. It was almost like it was so good where it was. Like I could see it being better going down that road, but I wasn't willing to give up what I, what I gave up, what I would have had to give up. You know what I mean? Mm. And so I don't, I don't condemn culture though. You know, I, I it's there for me again it, it, that is the norm which is the masses and like we are like all around it and mm. just trying to stretch it out in our own little space you know like if, if each one if each person was a degree and there was 360 um people on the planet um we're all jumping out and are trying to stretch the planet in our own way and, you know our feet are attached to it okay so what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just riffing here, you know. That's what's totally one, cool. What's one possibility? Hey, can I grab a beer? Absolutely, go for it, man. Now you said that you you had um, uh, that your grandfather gave you a nice, really nice car. Um, did did you? Well, it wasn't really a nice car. It, it wasn't a really nice car. It was. Uh, it wasn't a ship. It was like well taken care of because he, you know, didn't drive very far and like didn't you know, do much with it, but like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it wasn't a nice car. It was, so it was a 1990 Buick century in the year 2000, like, yeah, like 2000. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you get along with your grandparents or grandfather the most or? Yeah. Um, my, I think my grandfathers were my favorites. Uh, my, my grandmother was really nice too. Really sweet. Um, and my parents are too. Don't, don't like, you know, it's, yeah. I was telling one side of the story because that's what we were focusing on. But like, mm -hmm. and especially now, like we have a really good relationship with them. So it's not. Well, did your, did your siblings have the same experience you did? Um, I think they all realized that I had it a little harder than they did. And, well, and are you the oldest, youngest or? I'm the second oldest, second but I, oldest. but, they, but they also like, but I, it's also like kind of generally understood that I deserved it. I tested my parents more than the rest of them, you know? I kind of like paved it away. Like it was kind of like my two younger sisters had it easier because my parents were just kind of like broken and dealing with me, you know? <laughs> it doesn't seem like you're, uh, you were born to live a life of a Hemza. It seems like you're always willing to push them. Yeah. So I, I find it very strange that you are, you are living this life of a Hemza when everything is pointing to the fact that it, you know, it's, it's actually kind of constricting. That's why I bring it up. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and no, I, I wouldn't say that I was dedicated to the path. Like it wasn't like, uh, yeah. this is what I am. It was just generally, um, like I was, I was taking classes on, on alternatives to violence was, uh, the name of one. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really dug it, you know, just like it read, even just like reading fiction about, uh, different stories of the way that people have diverted muggings. Right. There was like one woman, old, older woman that was, uh, walking down the street and a person went to mug her and she's like, I'm under his wing. Like, you can't harm me. Like she, I think she just left like a, like church or something like that. And she's like, I'm under his wing. And the person just like looked at her and was like, knew what she meant. And like, 
supposedly they changed his life around, you know? I mean, yes, that could work for some. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with yeah. you. That's what, like, that's, that's what, yeah. I, and then I think this is, this is somewhat new. This is, yeah. it's interesting. I've, I've been thinking about this. It did come in because of kids, but not in the way that you'd expect. I think that we would expect that it would come in like, oh, I have to protect my kids. And I don't understand that it's not there. But I believe that the motivation comes from those feelings be being woken up that only my father could wake up, that now only my children can wake up in me. Mm -hmm. That when I was like saying, like when somebody was trying to start a fight with me and I'd say, you don't, you can't take anything from me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, there's no reason to fight you. I have nothing to gain. I have nothing to lose except just, you know, getting hit. Like that's, that's not an idea. So like I, I would avoid it though in those ways. Mm -hmm. um, but I was also taking a lot of risks, um, uh, you know, going to these places. I mean, I was going to, um, at UMass, I was going to Coke dealers houses. And so that even though I wasn't doing it, um, just parties there, you know, and, um, and yeah, I mean, bottles were being smashed over people's heads and, you know, stuff like that. But, but, uh, um, I was 60 pounds heavier then too. Um, when I did ayahuasca and stopped eating meat, uh, I, uh, lost 60 pounds. Like I, I say, like I lost like a Labrador retriever, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. but it was like, you know, so, but it was, I was big, like my, my neck was wider and everything. And, um, actually, I think that my face and my neck and my shoulders would be probably where the most of it was. But, but that you had, had to advantage. protect your neck. I mean, that's that's one thing. You just, yeah, and now it's a little scrawny, huh? No, no. I mean, uh, it's it's like I, I I even built my neck up huge. Like I had a really really thick yeah, neck, and yeah. But still, it didn't it, it 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 helps to absorb a lot of the concussion. You know, so right. it wouldn't be too bad. But yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. And submission so wrestling. That's a it, my like my neck now is pretty. I, I would say it is pretty scrawny. You know, mm -hmm. compared to what it, what oh, it was for me, like for sure. For, yeah. if, if you're like someone who likes to get people in, you know, with with uh, grappling, yeah, um, yeah. No, I'm a big. It was a. I, was, I practiced jujitsu for a long, long time, but haven't yeah. been able to do it since the injury. So you know, that's what happens. So, so do you still have a, a good relationship with your siblings, or do you, do you, are they still in the area, or? Uh, yeah, so my older sister's in Waltham. She just bought a house there. Mm -hmm. I think Waltham. Um, and yeah, we have a good relationship. And uh, they, she likes she likes weed. Like all my sisters like weed, which is cool mm -hmm. um, because it's something that like my parents, my dad has smoked once, and my mom has eaten gummies like once or twice, like with my sisters. So they haven't done it with me yet which mm -hmm. is pretty like at first I'm kind of like, it's, it's not a sincere emotion, but it's kind of like, dude, what the fuck? Like I've, I've, <laughs> I've been, you've, you've stolen weed from me as a kid. Like you've stolen my pipes. Like, you know, like, you know, just, yeah. I mean, just me being silly and reckless, you know, just doing it around them and they, they find it. But, but yeah. Uh, but yeah. And they won't even smoke with me now. But, my, but the um, dynamics changed since, it, since you were a kid, you all got along, right? You all got to, uh, we do now, um, I would say, but not growing up so much. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I, better than most, better than, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know what to compare it to, but you know, I guess if you, if you consider siblings fight an average of seven times every minute or something like that, like, yeah. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, that's about, it's, it's pretty spot on. It's probably pretty average, right? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, 
It's, it's funny you mentioned ayahuasca. What did you? What, what were your visions? What, what were they? What were they telling you? Did you get interpretation, or what, did you uh, do it in the states? Yeah, I did it in um, West Lebanon, New York, mm-hmm. and um, my friend smuggled it back from Peru, and uh, I went to his house, and me and him and another friend took it, and I immediately felt it in my throat. Like just like uh, you know, clear my throat and everything, mm-hmm. and it started to vibrate. And did you do one drink or one one l- large drink or did you, you do know, a couple? A l- one large drink. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Um. And yeah, I remember I could feel it in my my throat as soon as it as soon as it went down, and then I could feel it kind of move throughout my body, and then I closed my eyes and I left my body. Um, I could, I lost my periphery. So I was like seeing, like, there was almost like when I see something, I know that I can see in front of me, but I can't see behind me. But there was like none of that. There was like nothing behind me. It was like, I could see everything. And there's these geometric shapes that were larger than my peripheral vision. And, um, they were moving around. And then, um, somehow it got to my suffering, you know, through life and, um, how I hated it. And I, <clears throat> I had, I went through it. I'd gone through it. And then I realized like, I saw like almost like, Oh, well, this is also happening here. And, the, and so it was like the rest of the world. So it was like level up bitches and, and it, uh, took on the suffering of the world and I hated it. And I could visibly see how my hatred toward the, the suffering, you know, I hated that there was suffering in the world. That was mm-hmm. as simple as it was, but even that, was reflected in my attitude and I was able to see how that was affecting um, uh, the world. So, so the hatred was, um, was creating more suffering in the world. And so I knew that I had to stop. And so I relinquished that um, hatred and there was like this moment of Zen nothingness. And there was like, um, you know, a thousand petal lotus flower, like breaking through the crystal chrysanthemum. Like there's like these, this flower reference there that uh, of what happened when I employed the only thing that was left in this Zen-like, you know, space of like nothingness um, was unconditional love. It was like hope in Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. And once I employed that, it was like caramel dripping over the candy apple and uh, wakened the lotus flower and um yeah just uh i uh blissed out for for a moment you know for a few and then uh i remembered i had a body it was like you know you can't stay here um there was nothing like explicit like you can't stay here but it was like you have a body you have like work to do you know and mm-hmm. um so i i remember uh feeling pins and needles throughout my body and being like well, at least I, you know, I, I found the right one. Like, what are the chances that you find your body? You know, I didn't know what the chances were. <laughs> um, so uh, when, um, so yeah, I opened my eyes and my friends were sitting right there and they were drumming and, the, and I thought they had walked away. Like I heard the drums walk, you know, d- go off in the distance, but they were still sitting there. So it was like another uh, perception, a sensory perception that uh, of them, of me leaving my body. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so 
yeah, they were still sitting there. And I looked at them and I said, I just had the most intense experience in my life and just, you know, and just threw up all over the place. Um, And then, um, and that lasted. And so then after that, it was like a mushroom trip for like the next, you know, eight hours or so. Uh, Then, um, but really with the, what's important is not the trip as much as it is the, the integration, like how do you integrate those experiences into your life? How does it change your behavior? Right. As you said, it's in the work that we do. And so that's what was interesting. So that's when I uh, stopped eating meat, started doing yoga. Um, I say that like I, I climbed out of my head and into my heart, you know, because up to that point, my response to suffering, my response to trauma was, to rationalize it and and that involves not getting emotionally involved and instead building up a wall around you and it's like the the pink floyd's another brick in the wall you know another reason to protect myself and not get emotionally involved with people right Mm -hmm. um and so so yeah so but I'm, i'm on top of that wall looking down at people whatever you know so um that destroyed that um and came into my heart um and i mean at least enough to 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 uh be in a relationship mm-hmm. because up until that point i'd never really been in a relationship at any time that um you know things would be going pretty good with a girl i would you know probably just like spend a weekend away without calling her or something like that and then it would um you know she'd be upset about it and then i would be like i don't agree with why you're upset and then i would kind of bounce Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was always like, you know, why are you bringing trouble, you know, but, uh, <laughs> um, but that's what I felt like. And, and there's a part of me that like still kind of reserves that, like I still recognize there is. And then so, but I did come into my body. Like, I don't, I don't know if I took down half the wall. Like, I don't know what, I, what really, you know, what really happened there, but I still maintain that there is an advantage to not being emotionally attached. Um, and I, and I'm beginning to, to, to realize that maybe I just don't have emotional reactions to things. And like the other night, um, I threw a party for Callie's birthday and, um, we were, someone was like, don't you think that when somebody like genuinely asks you how you're doing and like, you really know that they are interested, is that like the best feeling in the world? I was like, I have never had an emotional reaction to somebody asking me if I was okay or like, or like, like there's a part of me that doesn't gets embarrassed when people compliment me. And there's almost like a fear of success, I think in there as well as a fear of failure. Yeah. Because it's like, there's certainly like, I definitely do work to, and like, want to share it with people and I'm looking for validation, but the vast majority of compliments or stuff like that, like makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Cause you always want to, I, I get it because I, when I don't, when people say good job, it's like, shut up, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. But like, why? Yeah. Like what, what do you, what do you want? You know, I kind of, you know, yeah. Like, what do you me, want? It's like, all, this all, is some all, of that. Yeah, it's like all, all I need is a smile on the customer's face. I don't need to be told good job. And you, you know, know and, that, and that's it. And I want to show. I want to show it in the work. I don't want to yeah. tell you like good job. I want to just be there to support you. And that's how I let you know that I'm 
here for you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's how I, I show mean, it. But for me though, it's like, I, 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 like my, my biggest enemy is, is my ego. You know, it's, it's just, it's just my ego. And I, I, I just don't know how to react to it to where it's like, you know, am I feeding off of it? Is it part of my identity? Am I giving it strength by saying, yeah, I am a good, you know, somebody who does good work. And I, I have to check myself and say, well, if the customer's happy, then I, then I did my job. Mm-hmm. If the customer's not happy, I didn't do my job. So that's, that's for me. You know, I don't, I don't want anybody telling me that, but I, I hear you on that. But when you were saying that you were, you know, emotionally, you have a hard time reaction, reacting to things. And I'm just thinking, well, I saw you laugh a little while ago. So you, you do, you know, and I've, I've also yeah. complimented you on, on um, a few things and you reacted favorably. I think it's just a, you, you got to know who to trust where it's coming from. Yeah. I think you're right about that. You know, and yeah. therefore it's, it's a, <clears throat> and you know, it's sincere or genuine from a person who's very sincere or gen- genuine. Um, but uh, you know, it's like, so now that your, your wife is an herbalist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does she have her own practice or what, what is she? No, she, she doesn't really want it to involve like the money aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You think it would kind of cheapen it. And so she, but she's warming up to the idea, um, particularly I think around, you know, the, the pressure that COVID puts on um, being resourceful and figuring out other ways to make, you know, alternative income that, mm-hmm. that there's, she's maybe warming up to the idea. What, um, is, is that why you moved to a farm so you guys can grow herbs and, and not solely. I mean, I really just wanted to, I mean, you know, I joke, you know, but, but I really just wanted to pee outside, like have it's a lot of it is freedom and it's sovereignty and it's like beauty. I mean, yeah, man, I, I'd love for you to come and visit sometime. It's like, I really love, like I bought a place that I wanted to show off, like, and not mm-hmm. because like, it's cool because, oh, it's me it has nothing to do with me. I want mm-hmm to share i want to be in a space that's really awesome and so i bought one you know and right it's like it's like why isn't that just simple enough like why isn't it just like that simple it's like oh like you know i i and then like people who are into this sort of thing will appreciate it too you know and so they'll want to come here because it's in the middle of the woods and so not a lot of people come here and you know but like i want to make it worth it for people yeah I mean, I, I thought about buying a place in, uh, in, in Beckett. There's, a, there's one of the customers who wants to sell me uh, a couple acreage. Oh, yeah? And, yeah. So awesome. I, I thought it was very nice of him. It's like, no, oh, sure. You know? And he's like, hey, I'll come live next to you. He's like, I would love it. And I said, okay. <laughs> you know, it's great. I mean, he's a great guy. You know, we, 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 every time he's there, we talk quite a bit. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I get I, Dude, I, customers and I, we just, we just BS all it. the time. You know? and I, I really miss that from working across the street. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was it was fun. It was it's fun to, to BS with them and stuff and get to know them and the likes and don't likes and the, you know, there's just one guy that he's uh he's from Brazil and, and so I'm learning Portuguese so I can learn to speak with them. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm probably murdering the language, but <laughs> I've, I've <laughs> seen that I've seen that happen. I I yeah. saw that happen, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's it's just it's just fun, you know. It's mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of fun, and that's a challenge of, of doing that. But yeah, I, I I think it's I think it's tremendous. But uh, but so before we go, there's a question I need to ask. Elon Musk, 
he wants you to help him colonize uh, Mars. And he wants you to uh, grow three strains for five years. What are those three strains and why? Um, I would say Blue Dream because mm. it is very good. I mean, regardless of like climate and like what would be best, be, you know, because like I'd want to like cater it to the climate and everything. I don't I want to know, but it's going to be inside. So it's going to be, I don't know. I'm just guessing there's going to be some environmental factors that mm-hmm. determine this. But, but regardless of that, Blue Dream, because it is very, uh, like everybody loves it. Like everybody knows it and loves it. Um, but it also is really good. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like some things get watered down. Remember we are talking about like some things get watered down as they become more accessible in order to become more accessible to the masses of people. And so that's why, um, you know, uh, would say like craft, like a craft something, like craft education, right? Yeah. It would be, be like a really cool thing, like independent music. I remember indie music, right? And now it, it's sold out. And, mm-hmm. and now when you say indie music, you're not talking about, you're, you are talking about bands that are signed. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So uh, it's 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 just it's just kind of like at what point these words become uh, false, right? So so <laughs> blue dream. Um, right now, Mandarin uh, Forbidden Skittles is That's a good my one. favorite strain. That's a good yeah. one. Um, the first time I smoked that, it was the first night that it was warm enough to leave the windows open. And I think Callie was out. And so I was sleeping with the kids and um, the windows open and I hear the crickets and the frogs and an owl and, and they're just grooving. And then all of a sudden a train comes by and it was just like, you know, it's like past midnight and I have to work in the morning. And I'm just like, I'm like, I'm enjoying myself way too much to go to bed right now, but I really should be asleep, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was really, really, really enjoyable, you know? Um, and then the third strain. So that is a indica leaning hybrid. Um, I think GG4, I think that yeah. a strain like GG4 would be, because mm. again, it's really popular. So the forbidden Skittles is, is, is kind of craft, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's, it's not very well known. The, the, um, blue dream is a classic strain from like the nineties and two thousands. And, and it's, and it's back you know, very alive and well, at least in our access. So, mm-hmm. and then um, the GG4 is something that seems very well known and, and is very uh, accessible um, as well. And it's just like really good for sleep. So uh, I imagine we'll have some um, sleep troubles falling asleep on Mars. And so that would be a good <laughs> one for, for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, those are good. I mean, the, 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 what's funny is like I, it was always referred to as Gorilla Glue. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, hey, you got Gorilla Glue, and, and oh, you don't have Gorilla Glue. And it's like, oh, we have this thing being over here, GG4. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not the brightest bulb in the Christmas tree sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Took me a little bit while to figure it out. Um, but yeah, good choices, really good choices. So, man, I can't, I can't thank you enough for doing this. This was really cool of you. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, yeah. Time, no, time from your family and... And, and going to bed and you know and all that stuff so i, I appreciate it <laughs> no man it's all good i uh it's, it's an honor to be on your show
Well, thank you. Thank you. It's honored to have you, my good friend. And thank you for rescuing cats, by the way. I'm, <laughs> I'm a huge animal lover. I love, love, yeah. love, love animals. And, and uh, as much as I used to hunt and everything, um, I, I do it because, you know, overpopulation of, look, that's a cute face. That's really yeah. cute. Look at Yeah. This is ping pong. Ping pong? We, it's a, they came with names. They're all they're all triplets, and that they uh they all came with names. But yeah, um, it's like having having too many having too many of, of deer is actually very very harmful for the environment for the other deer as well. Right. Um, yeah, I, I just do it to if if anybody's yeah. heard if anybody's heard an animal getting ripped apart by a wolf or wolf. something like that would absolutely go out there and start hunting again because it's it's you know it's. It's a horrible thing to hear them. You know, well, and that's it. It's, 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 um, this is where I kind of come back away from the veganish, you mm-hmm. know, perspective. And it's like, yeah, it's like, so what you, you want to, you want to introduce wolves? You want, you want that? Do you want that? I mean, how many little kids or dogs like that they t- pick off before we end up right where we did last time with, you know, shooting them from helicopters and trains, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's a so. sticky situation for sure because they reintroduced them to uh, what was it Wyoming? I think it was Wyoming or North Dakota, one 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 of the you know northern areas of the country. And, I think it um, might have been Wyoming. I think it might have been yeah. um, Yellowstone. Yeah, and they, they they just they went to wanted to reduce the, uh, like the moose population, and they sh- certainly did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I think there was like um, I think I remember seeing like statistics. It was like. Uh, so yeah, so they wiped out, they reduced the population of deer. Deer were eating a certain plant that was by the water. So when that grew in, it kind of created dam environments. The beavers came in and like dammed it up even more and like made like, you know, just completely changed the landscape just by introducing the wolves. Yeah. 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 We got to get it smarter about like where we're going to put them and stuff and, and, uh, you know, where it's going to be effective. Yeah, so, or but like you can't control. Them. I mean, yeah. Jesus, you see Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't think that humans would ever consciously do that with a with an. Well, yeah, I don't know. Would would like would like put something out in the world that would be dangerous? But then I just started thinking about the virus. <laughs> I mean, there's also the you know atom bomb. There's you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. A friend friend of mine was telling me that uh, he works for NEST, which is, I forgot the acronym, uh, but it deals with the nuclear uh, storage and stuff like that, anything that's nuclear. Mm -hmm. Um, He he works for NEST, and he was telling me a story that the Russians at one time had created an A-bomb, like a a bomb that was so powerful that it lighted oxygen on fire. Wow. So, I mean, that just wipes out the entire planet Earth. Yeah, I was going to say, how far does that go? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oxygen's in water, oxygen's everywhere. Mm. Um, so it would just completely annihilate the planet Earth. And they decided to scrap the bomb, you know, thank oh, God. Good. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they've got it, you know, they, they destroyed, right. They, they supposedly destroyed it and everything else. But, you know, I mean, trust but verify on, on those situations. So, was that called the um, Samson option? Have you heard of that? I've heard of it. Yeah. That's, you know, the, that's that's the um, mutual mutual destruction kind of idea of like uh, you push the button. I think it was from um, that uh, Stanley Kubrick film. Um, um, uh, the, the, how how the how we won the no it was um, 
Damn it. Okay. I'll look at it. <laughs> so yeah, the Samson option is like mutual destruction when um, it, it, uh, the nuclear weapon going off sparks off other nuclear weapons around the world and just like kills everybody. Mm-hmm. Just, like, Dr. Strangelove. Dr. Strangelove. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or how I, I created the bomb, whatever it is. Yeah. I, yeah. Just like you, but if you know you're going to die, you take everybody with you. You know, you do the best that's, you can. Those who try to destroy you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, um, but I think what ends up happening is a lot of the time human beings have a, they do a thing called the Cobra effect and the, um, the Cobra effect. And it's, it's when the English started colonizing India. And, um, and so what they did was they, they came up with a, you know, a brainiac idea of having the locals catch all the snakes, all these cobras, all these, you know, these things that can kill you. And, and, and for every one they caught, they brought them in. They would give them some money. Well, they started raising snakes and breeding these snakes. And so when they found out about it, they said, okay, we're not paying anybody anymore. So they had all these dangerous snakes around. It's okay, fine. And they just threw them all back in the street, which, which doubled the population where they were before. You know, so they tried to, they tried to uh, you know, cure, cure a bad situation, which was, you know, like one snake would cross every 10 seconds or every 10 minutes or something like that to where it's like the streets were, were covered in, in these deadly snakes. Now they couldn't get wow. from point A to point B. Jeez. So, you, you know, that's what's called the Cobra effect. Um, uh, you know, you don't want to do that. You, you know, with good intention, you want to do something, but you got to think about long-term. Right. Yeah. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I mean, that's a, um, a big lesson that I worked on about a year ago. Um, I had, so I have a philosophy group, uh, a few of them. And, um, and one of them, we, t- we took the task of the shadow of compassion and, mm-hmm. you know, you think of compassion as a good thing, but it's shadow is comes in the form of being nice and allowing um, injustice to happen and, and going along with it or uh, cowardice. It's, it's cowardice. Yeah. And, and, and in uh, uh, the trauma response, it's called fawning. So mm-hmm. you're fawning, like, like trying to please um, somebody, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so that was really interesting to, to explore how to rescue um, like being kind is different than being nice. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't and, trust nice people. I don't right. trust nice and people be, whatsoever. And empathy makes somebody a narcissist. Yeah. Because they begin to control the way that other people feel um, so that they don't have to feel bad. Yeah. Or and they blame how they feel on other people. Yeah. And then, so you have to watch out for the victim, victim mentality thing. That's you right. Know, like how much of it is someone trying to gaslight you thinking that you're bad or doing something wrong. It's, it's your fault or something. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not fun dealing with narcissists whatsoever. Right. Um, but dude, thanks again. I appreciate this. Thank you. Yeah. So right, it was man. good. I mean, yeah. I don't see it as much as I used to, but uh, you know, this is how we got to connect. This will connect this way. <laughs> yeah. I'd be happy to do it again. Yeah. And even, cool. you know, offline or whatever, we just catch up and you, you and your girlfriend come out here and, you know, camp or something if you want. Or we have indoor rooms, you know, but that'd be great, man. Little vacation. We need it. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely need it. Cool. All right. I'll talk to you later, bud. All right. See ya. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to our website, thefoolpodcast.com, and follow us. We'd appreciate your support. 
More episodes are soon on their way.